that they got dropped real quick, so we're, we're back. You didn't miss anything, I just pause. Okay, let me try to get my thoughts here again. But we, you know, to, to renovate, we're, we're renewing. If we were to renovate this house, we probably would change some things. We definitely would change the landscaping around here. Okay, if we had our way, we would probably add on some bedrooms. Okay, so we, we, we would do some renovation. Let's go with, go with me real quick to Matthew, uh, actually, let's go to 2 Corinthians 3. Second Corinthians 3, verse 18, the last verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Everyone good? Sorry about the interruption online. Hopefully we got you back. We'll have both of uh, these on the website, so we'll be good. Okay. He says, but we all, with an unbuilt face, beholding us in the mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Okay, there's a lot here, uh, and I've thought of this many times in the last few weeks. But Paul is saying, he begins to say in chapter, uh, verse 14, this is verse 18, but in verse 14 he begins to say that their minds were blinded by the veil. The veil he describes as the law. Nothing wrong with the law. The law is wholly good. But in this chapter, verses Chapter 7 through 13, he is comparing the glory of the Old Testament with the glory of the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of the Spirit. He's making a comparison. We're going to be transformed from glory to glory. He's, he's making a comparison. There's the glory of the Old Testament, there's the glory of the law, but the <coughs> excuse me, the, but the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more glory. But, and, but he says the only way to remove this veil that blinds our minds is to preach Christ. And when you preach Christ, this veil, this blinder from your mind is removed. And when you remove it, you're going to be home. You, you just, it's a blind in your mind. So if you're, if you're blinded, you're not seen, right? That makes sense? That's what blinding is? Okay? But once you remove the blinding, blinder, you should be able to see. But what are you going to see? You're going to look, you're going to be behold, see with the mind, as in the mirror, the glory of the Lord. A mirror, again, a mirror is a reflective device. It's not a window. When you look in the mirror, you see yourself, generally so, okay? At least that's what happened to me and from a physical standpoint. But how do you know the Word of God is a mirror? And when we look in the mirror of God's Word, we need to see His glory, not our glory. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll get there in a moment, but in 2 Corinthians 5 says, because of the love of Christ compels us to come to this conclusion, we know no man after the flesh. We now are beholding that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. We're going to get to those scriptures in a moment. But when we look, when we, when we turn to Jesus, this veil we move, is removed from our vision, and we're now beholding, we're now seeing his glory. In context, Paul is talking about the ministry of righteousness and his spirit compared to the ministry of condemnation and death. You go ahead and read it between verses 7 and all the way to verse 18 here. Paul is making a comparison. He's now downplaying the law. The law had a purpose to bring us to Christ. But now that Christ is here, the bell is removed. And we can see. And there's only one way to remove that vow from our vision, and that's to preach Christ. 
I'm not here preaching about coronavirus. I'm not here preaching about other things. I'm here about preaching Jesus. Because without Jesus, there is a thou. Without, Paul will go on to say in chapter 4, verse 3, and about four verses later, he says, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled that those who are perishing. People are panicking in our world because their focus is not on Jesus. Can I be any more blunt? People are not focused on Jesus. Because they're panicking and they're perishing. Not from some virus. Some people are. I understand that. But the panic is worse. And it, 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 it's dangerous. And I, again, I want to get off that soapbox. But I just but we all, with, with unveiled faith, beholding as in the man of the glory of the Lord. We need to see his glory. What glory? He just called it the ministry of righteousness. He just called it the ministry of his spirit. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. God has given us a spirit. We, we, are, we have the spirit of God. And we are, when we behold his glory in the mirror, we are going to be transformed. That's where we get the word metamorpho, which is, we get the word metamorphosis. A, a caterpillar to a butterfly. We're going to start seeing that here in springtime. But we're but when we behold his glory as in the mirror, we will be transformed into the same image that we're now beholding from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Am I making sense this morning? I'm talking about beholding. We're talking about being established in righteousness. And how do we do that? We, how, we started in the same way we receive Christ Jesus, the same way we walk in him. We received Christ Jesus because we heard the gospel, we believed the gospel, we were introduced to Jesus, we received what he had for us, his love, his salvation, his redemption, and we received him. The same way we received him, the same way we walk in him. We keep focus on him. We <coughs> Excuse me. Every time I start preaching, I start coughing. This is not some other virus. I rebuke that. This is just me on Sunday mornings when I'm preaching. Amen? Amen? I just want to bring clarity to that. There's a lot of weird stuff going around right here now. So, we are transforming to his image. Anyway, I got I got my thought because I got in that little soapbox again. But anyway, it just, uh, is this making sense? That we need to behold something. If we're going to be establishing it, we need to behold something. We became born again by beholding him. It started with that, and we need to continue walking in that. We need to keep our focus on Him. We need to be transformed from glory to glory, and this needs to be a constant transformation. It's not just a one-time thing. And so that must be where our minds go throughout the day. It could be our work. It could be what's going on in the world. It could, be good, it could even be on good things, but we need to sometimes be detoxed from the things of this world and get our minds focused back on Jesus. Paul says to be naturally minded is death, and to be spiritually minded is life and peace in Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but sometimes my mind needs a uh, <clears throat> transformation. And i got to get focused on Him. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And there's no freedom in panic. There's no freedom in, uh, 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 there's no freedom in the law. The law is bondage. 
Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 8 and other scriptures. The law is bondage. It's called the ministry of condemnation and death. It's, it's holy, it's good, but its purpose was to show you that you need a Savior. And now that you have a Savior, you don't need the law. We still obey the law and heed the law, not to become saved, but because we are saved. We don't, we don't obey the law to become righteous. We obey the law because we, we are righteous. All the law and the prophets are, are hinge on loving God and loving our neighbor and ourselves. We don't stop doing that because we're saved. We still love God with all of our heart. We still love our neighbor as ourselves. It's called the royal law. Paul talks about this multiple times. That if we love one another, we fulfill the law. So we don't, we, I mean, now that we're righteous, we don't murder people. We don't bear false witness. We don't commit adultery. <clears throat> we don't have any other gods now that we're righteous. No, we still obey the law. But not to become righteous because we are righteous. Be holy as I am holy. How do we be holy? We didn't become holy because of our own righteousness. No, we became holy because we received his righteousness. Now that we have his righteousness, now that we're born of the righteous God, then be who you are. We, we are I believe in God. We're called believers. What do believers do? Believe. We're children of the light. We're the children of God. We are Christians. We are believers. We are followers of God. We are disciples of Christ. We are the redeemed of the Lord, and the redeemed of the Lord says so. We are, we are the people of God. We are above and not, above and not beneath. We are uh, blessed and not cursed. We're blessed going in, and we're blessed going out. His, surely his, his uh, mercy and goodness will follow us all the days of our lives. There's so much. We are who we are. We need to know. And that's the point of this message is to be established in righteousness because we are the righteous God in Christ Jesus. Be established in who you are. And keep your focus there. Behold that. See that with the mind. And when you see his glory in the mirror, you will be transformed into that same image. Okay, let's go to another scripture. I think I, I tackled this one. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5. I told you where we go there. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge us that if one died for all, then all die. <coughs> and he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Okay, there's that word behold again. Then let's go back real quick. Verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us. What's the love of Christ? We, talk, we spent a whole two weeks on this. This is love, John says in 1 John 4.10. This is love not that we love him, but that he loved us and became our propitiation. His love is his propitiation for your sins. This is love. And it's this love of Christ that compels us to come to this judgment or come to this conclusion that we died with Christ. 
And because we died for Christ, therefore, I'm skipping through this, but therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. I am not looking at flesh and blood. I am looking at believers. I'm looking at the righteousness of God. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 in this passage, we'll get to it in just a second, but it says, well, we are the righteousness of God. I am looking at Christians. I am looking at children of God. I'm looking at the family of God. And it's not a natural family. It's not a natural kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. I am not looking at flesh and blood. Some of you might think, Dave, you're going crazy. I think you're crazy. Go Andrew. The, we, because the love of Christ compels me to come to this conclusion, I don't see flesh. It says in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. As if he's a whole new species. He's a whole new creation. All things have passed away. That's passive. Behold, all things have become new. That is very similar to Ephesians chapter 4 that says we put off the old man in the spirit of our mind we put on the new man who is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Do you see the putting off and then putting it on? All things have passed away. All things have become new. But there is this word behold that is, that is a threat throughout the New Testament that we need to be focused on. I'm not focused on the old man that passed away. I'm not focused on the old man I put on. Uh, I put off. I'm not focused on. I'm not focused on this old man. I'm focused on Christ. I'm not focused on the problems. I'm not focused on sin. I'm crucified with Christ. I've been buried with Christ. I've been raised together with Him in newness of life. And that's my focus. And that's what my focus needs to be constant. It needs to be steadfast. You know, when I have problems emotionally in every which way, you know why I have problems? I got my focus off. I got my focus on the problem, the storm, this virus, this panic, other things that are going on. I need to get my focus on Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. I need to get my focus on him, the hope of his calling. I need my, my eyes to be enlightened that I know who the hope of his calling, the power of his resurrection. I need to get my focus on Jesus and who God says I am in Him. Am I making sense this morning? Now all things are God who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I've taught this before, but I want to summarize it again here. In verses, I know that i got a lot of highlights in here, so try to ignore some of that for now. In chapter 3, he called it the ministry of righteousness and, and ministry of, uh, of the Spirit. <clears throat> here he calls it the ministry of reconciliation. But here in verses 18 and 19, he says that God has reconciled us to himself. That God was in Christ, reconciled the world to himself. So what we see in verses 18 and 19 is that God's doing the reconciling. But in verse 20, what the instruction is, you be reconciled to God. Well, if God's reconciling us, why do we need to be reconciled? 
And I've shared this before. Now, I know a lot of people are listening from different countries, and I know some different countries don't do uh, bank statements and things from the, our financial institutions the same way we do. But if you get a bank statement or a credit card statement, uh, you got a statement because on their end, at the financial institution, your bank has reconciled their, their accounts. And in doing so, you have one account among many accounts in their ledger, and they've given you a statement how their, their book, how they have reconciled your account on their books. And, but if you should be keeping your own ledger, you should be keeping your own uh, tabs on how much you owe them and whatnot. And if the statement they give you doesn't jive with you, what you have, then you, Houston, we have a problem. Okay? If, your bank, if you think in your ledger you have $1,000 and the bank gives you a statement that you have $0, when you go charge that, use that debit card or credit card, you're going to have a, a word that's going to flash across the screen called decline. On the other hand, if you think you have zero dollars, but the bank is telling you have a thousand dollars, you can sit at home doing nothing while you have a thousand dollars to go go do something. Now, am I making sense? So you need to reconcile your own account uh, as the bank gives you a statement. I'm not, I'm not here talking about finances and reconciling. I'm just saying that God has reconciled accounts. What is the reconciliation that God has done? Verse 21 gives the answer. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We were sinners. We were going to hell. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. That was the facts. That was the ledger. But God, in Christ Jesus, became our sin. The penalty for sin, just like a penalty if you don't pay your credit card, they're going to have a penalty charge attached. They're going to be a, 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 a monthly fee. That makes sense. But the penalty for sin is death. That means you have to die. So Jesus became your propitiation. He came and died for you. And his, because he was your propitiation, it satisfied the death. He did not just become your sin, although no true, but he also became, he also took your penalty. And he made you the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. He took your sin and he gave you his righteousness. He made, that's how he has reconciled the books in heaven. He's reconciled accounts. He's already done it in Jesus Christ. We're not going to stand before Jesus asking what we did about this sin and that sin and this sin. We're going to be asking one question. What do we do with Jesus? What do we do with Jesus? And when we make that reconciliation, well, I mean, excuse me, I got ahead of myself. God has already made the reconciliation, but we need to make it that reconciliation in our own minds. That we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is who we are. And now that that's who we are, we can live righteously. We can live godly. We can live holy. That's why the grace of God is not, to teach, that is not a license to sin. We were already sinning without a license. But the, the grace of God, according to Titus 2.12 teaches us to deny ungodliness. It teaches us that the, the knowledge of God has given us all things of our life and godliness in the knowledge of Him. 
excuse me, I'm trying to quote something here. I'm chopping up, so go with me real quick to 2 Peter, chapter 1. Wasn't going to go here, but I'm chopping up the verse. Grace and peace, verse two, 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse 2. So I'm going this a little fast because it's just a little footnote. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. As if divine power hath given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. Life and godliness is in the knowledge of Him. What's the knowledge of Him? You are the righteous God in Him. That we can talk a lot about things, a lot, a lot of things about the knowledge of Him, but one of the things that we're talking about is righteousness. Am I making sense, church? <clears throat> we need to be reconciled. We need to be whole. <clears throat> we need to see this in our minds. Go with me to Romans chapter 6. Verse 3. Uh, yeah, Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 3. Again, Paul's writing here. Or do you not know? There as many as were baptized in Christ, Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Amen? If we've been crucified with Christ, and we can also say that we've been we, we, we are in the likeness of his resurrection. Sometimes, some of us only got half the message. We are not just crucified with Christ. We have been raised together with Christ. Okay? Knowing this. We just talked about knowledge. So what's this knowledge? We need to know this. That our old man was crucified. What did we just hear that? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Ties in with 2 Peter that we just read. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. The love of Christ compels us, we have died. If we have died, we're free from sin. Now, now, and where's now? Now, if we die with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. I'm not here talking about dying, I'm talking about living. We died with Christ. But we also been raised with Christ. So let's live, church. Stop talking about dying. Start living. Knowing. Again, that we're knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. But the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life, but the life, but the life, that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed of sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. There is a reconciliation. There is to be holy. We need to reckon. We need to see with our mind that we are dead to sin. We are dead to Adam. We are not only that we not committed. Not, that, not only do we all commit a sin, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but we also were all born into sin through Adam. 
through Adam death reigned, but how much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life, Jesus Christ. But we are dead, we need to reckon, we need to come to this reckoning in our mind that we are dead to sin, and so others have that down, but we don't have this part. We are also alive to God, alive to God in Christ Jesus. We need to make that reckoning. And we need to behold that. We need to behold this truth. Because the truth will set us free. I record this left and right, but let me let's go to it. Romans chapter 3. We're here last, the last few weeks, but let's go here again. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But there's a comma or a semicolon, depending on which translation you're reading. Being justified freely. That word justified again is righteousness. We've been declared righteous freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We've been, we've been justified. We've, we've been reconciled. We've been declared righteous by His Spirit. And we need to receive this. Whom God has set forth as a propitiation by his blood to the faith to do, demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time that his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. As long as you have faith in Jesus, you have been justified. Am I making sense this morning? Or did this walk fast in the thought? I got a little more time, so I'm going to uh, backtrack to something over skip before I go to my, my closing section. Go with me now, real quick, to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, we'll pick it up verse 19. We also know this as the Great Commission. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples. Say his disciples with me. Disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them. You teach disciples, right? That's what a disciple is. They're a learner. Okay? They're, they're, they're a disciplined learner. To observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. A couple of things I just want to highlight real quick. And I'm like, where, where are you going with this, Dan? Well, hold on. We've been called to make disciples. We're not been called to make converts only. We, yes, we need a conversion. Yes, there needs to be a conception. Yes, there needs to be evangelism in the sense that we need to re we want people to come to Christ. Amen. But that's not that's not where it stops. That's where it starts. We are called to make disciples of all. And we are called to teach people the truth. We're talking about being established in righteousness. And, and our, we call our church Lighthouse Discipleship Center for a reason. We're about discipleship. A disciple in the Greek is a, is a disciplined learner. There's a discipline about it. All scriptures pop up for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. 
for the man of God might be fully equipped for every good work. The righteousness is the elementary teachings. Paul, uh, the writer of Hebrews says that by now you should be teachers, but someone has to teach you. We're supposed to be teachers. We're supposed to be making disciples. But we can't make disciples if we need to be taught ourselves. And we need to be teaching people to be baptized, to be emerged in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? I'm going somewhere with this real quick over here. Go with me to 1 John chapter 3. Because it says, and as you're turning there, I want to talk a little quick. We ought to be teaching them to deserve all the things which I have commanded. What is the commandment? I thought we were talking about commandments and law. Well, go with the first John. First John chapter 23. <coughs> John says, and this is his commandment. <coughs> that we should believe on the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has given his commandment. But we need to teach that. We need to teach that. We need to model that. But here, let me go, go with me real quick to Acts chapter 2. Verse 38. This is a very famous passage of scripture. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, gave, he was an unschooled man, unlearned man, it says. But when he got the Holy Spirit, he became a firecracker. And he began to preach speak the gospel. But in the midst of that message, <clears throat> he makes this famous phrase, repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For to go to make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of Jesus. Amen? But the word repent, if you study this word metatonia in the Greek, it means to change your mind. Okay? We need to change our mind from, one, stop believing the old covenant, which is a blinder. Because how many of you know, right now in, in, the, in the ministry of Jesus, and here at the Pentecost, Pentecost, the birth of the church, the Pentecost is entering into a new age called the church age. Up until the cross, 10 days prior, or 50 days prior, excuse me, Pentecost. We were in the Old Testament. The Old Testament didn't start with Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The Old Testament started at the cross. And Hebrews chapter 9 says that when there's a covenant, there's, it's a testator that makes a covenant. And the covenant has no power, and I'm, I'm just paraphrasing this, until the testator dies. Jesus, God, made a covenant with us in Christ Jesus. But that covenant has no power until the testator dies. Well, our testator dies. And so the covenant is in full operation because Jesus is our death certificate, and he's also our new birth certificate. He's also our marriage certificate with Jesus. He's our all in all. And up until this time that we're teaching the Old Testament, what we've been teaching over in the series that the Old Covenant can be like a blinding veil. And the only way to remove this veil is to preach Christ. We need to change our minds and stop beholding the old man, stop preaching law, stop 
preaching the ministry of condemnation and death, then we need to preach the ministry of righteousness. We need to believe is right. We need to be reconciled to God. We need to put off the old man. And we are called to make disciples teaching us. This is not just something you just learn through osmosis. This is something that you have to be discipled in. And those of us who are saved, those of us who are being taught this, we need to be reminded of this constantly. Am I making sense? I know I'm going a long way around this, but I'm trying to connect a lot of different dots. And I'm trying to knock over some sacred religious cows along the way. <coughs> but we repent. We stop trusting what we're doing. We, we stop trusting in our self-righteousness. We stop trusting in the old covenant. We, we also repent. We want to repent of bad behaviors and lifestyles too. And they, you're like, Dave, don't take away from that. No, I'm not, I'm not including all that. But how many know if you have an addiction, if you have a, a lifestyle, if you're in, 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 in having an affair, an adulterous relationship, or you're having some other issues, whatever the case is, you can't change yourself by trying to do it yourself. You need a Savior. You need Jesus. You can't control the flesh by the flesh. That's impossible. That's insane. There's only one way, and that's through Jesus. And then we need to disciple people. We need to teach people the truth. We need to, we need to show them the truth, and the truth will let them set them free. You, change, you don't change the fruit by going fruit picking and telling them everything they've done wrong. An apple tree can't an apple, the apple itself can't reproduce no, more apples. No, there's, it has to abide in the vine. There's a multiplication factor, yes, and there's a, there's a transformation factor, yes, but it takes place because we abide in the vine. Am I making sense? We are transformed from glory to glory, from faith to faith, for the gospel reveals the righteous God from faith to faith. And I'm trying to say a lot of things, I don't know if I'm conveying it very well, but it's just, uh, we have been called to make disciples. And we need to teach people this. So they can get, I'm talking about being established in righteousness. And how can we behold who we are and what we're supposed to be holding if we haven't been taught it in the first place? And we need to be taught it and taught it again and be learned. We, anything I know, anything I can teach, uh, 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 anything I can teach uh, very clearly and very, um, uh, without notion, it's something I've learned. That makes sense? I can't teach you how to, to change the oil in your car. I've never done it. I don't know where to start. I can't teach you this. I can teach you some bookkeeping. I can teach you organizational skills. I can teach you Bible. I can teach you some recipes I know how to make. Because I know these things. I know what to do. But there's some things I can't tell you. I can't tell you how to sew. I can't teach you how to, uh, there's some things I just can't teach you. I'm not a handyman. I'm a demolishing man. I can demolish. Sometimes I want to be that little uh, MacGyver and, uh, 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 you know, but and wear my tool belt and everything and fix things, but I know I, can, I know how to fast. I'm not an electrician. I'm not a, I'm not a plumber. I can't teach you these things, but I can't teach you what I know. Because I've so learned it. I know what I know that I know, and I don't know everything yet, but I've learned it. Where am I going with this? Because you know, we need to make disciples. 
And just because we know it, we need to know it again and again and again. We need to know it tomorrow. We need to know it the next day. And the world that we're getting in is crazy. The world that we have, is, it, if you get focused on this too long, you're going to lose your way. We need to be reminded. We need to be established in it. And it's our job as a church to make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them into this. Emerging them into this. We need to repent. We need to repent from doing it our own way. We need to repent from trying to do we need to, Yes, we need to repent from bad lifestyles, but we need to change our mind, put off the old man and spirit of our mind, put on the new man who is created according to God, true righteousness and holiness. If you put off the old man and spirit of your mind, put on the new man, true righteousness, true holiness will come out. But if you, if you, if you do the reverse, if you stop doing it, you know, the best, I used to teach this, that the best thing for you to get in trouble spiritually is do absolutely nothing. You just do nothing. Not even do the wrong stuff. Not even do the bad stuff. Not even do the unthinkable stuff. You just do nothing. Become complacent. You will get in trouble spiritually. It's called the fight of faith. Yes, there's a rest, but we have to labor to get into that rest. That making sense. But we need, we need to change the way we're thinking. Now, I'm not just talking about bad lifestyles, but now I'm also talking to the, those who walk in good lifestyles. Some of you, and I say this with love, but some of you have been complacent too long. Some of you have, you know, in times like this that we're going in our society, in our world, yes, we need to take care of ourselves and our families, and those are our first priorities. But in the, even in that, don't be selfish. There's a world out there that needs Jesus. We are the light. Okay? Don't, don't be like the world. We are different. Use wisdom. Don't be stupid. But use wisdom. Am I making sense this morning? You know, it's times like this that what we believe becomes a lot more uh, black and white versus gray. Okay? I want to close on something. I want to close this series. I want to close uh, this message. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. <coughs> we'll pick up verse 23. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 23. James, 1 Corinthians 11, beginning verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the, the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this, and say this with me, in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant. I talked about that briefly this morning. In my blood, 
This do as often as you drink it in what? Remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. I want to pause here for a moment. I'm going to read some more in just a little bit. We call this the table of remembrance. We call this the Lord's table. And there's, it's all in remembrance of who? Him. Him. We need the reminders. I don't care how long you've been walking with God, whether you've been walking with God for 500 years or five, uh, 500 seconds. Okay? You need the remembrance. Don't get cocky. Don't get selfish. I'm thinking that you don't need a reminder. You need a reminder. And the fact that you say that you don't need a reminder tells me you need a reminder all the more. Because that's just the wrong attitude. Okay? We need a reminder. But what what were we reminded of? We're reminded of, first of all, his body that was broken for us and the, the new covenant in my blood. And we can do this often. Some people do this three times a day, like medicine or milk. You know, and it's about remembrance of him. When you think about it, and I don't have time to teach all of it, but in Leviticus chapters 1 to 5, we have five offerings in the Levitical law. Remember last, our last sessions, we were talking about how all scriptures testify of Jesus. All scripture, including the law and the prophets, give testimony to this righteousness we should be experiencing now. That includes Leviticus 1 to 5. That includes these five offerings. I'm not going to talk about all five of those offerings, but I'm going to talk about two of those. In Leviticus chapter 1, we have the burnt offering. In Leviticus chapter 4, we have the sin offering. And I'm just going to give a basic summary of that using my little lambie here. But basically, they would find a spotless lamb, an unblemished lamb, a perfect lamb. That with that perfectness, that spotlessness, that without spot or wrinkle represents the righteousness of God. It's perfect. It's pure. But with basically, and the, and the burnt offering speaks of uh, basically when the, when a man would find a lamb, they would examine the lamb, make sure it was without spot or wrinkle. And then the man basically would lay their hands on the lamb, and the man's sin would transfer the lamb, and the lamb would be crucified or slaughtered as its propitiation. As a substitute. That's called the sin offering. But as they laid their hands on the lamb, not only did the sin transfer the lamb, but the unblemishedness, the righteousness that the lamb represented, transferred the man. And that's what we call the burnt offering. The sin offering represents our sin being transferred to the lamb, Jesus. And the burnt offering represents his righteousness being transferred to us. It's called the great exchange. Okay? Also, too, we're doing this in remembrance of him while I'm here. His body that was broken for us. It says that it says in Isaiah, I quoted this morning, but also it's echoed in Peter and also uh, Matthew. It's also quoted that by his stripes we were healed. He was broken for our healing. So no matter what you're going through, no matter what's going on in our world today with 
coronavirus, by his stripes you are healed. And you can come to this table of remembrance and receive healing. But also we have the blood of his covenant. We have a covenant relationship with God. And we need to be reminded of that. He took our sin. He crucified it. We are we are reckoning ourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Because he died, we know no man of the flesh. And we're not going to behold who what we've done wrong. We're going to behold what he's done for us. We're doing all this exercise in what? Remembrance of him. That making sense so far. <clears throat> but let's read some more. Or before I go there, verse 26. For as often as you eat this, you bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till it's come. I started this whole series in Isaiah chapter 52 that says, How beautiful are the mountains of the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who proclaims salvation. We can proclaim his death. Because if he died, he died for our sins, he died for our sicknesses, he died for all we can proclaim. We can proclaim peace on earth and goodwill for men. We can proclaim salvation, wholeness, healing, deliverance. Am I making sense this morning? And we can proclaim it to his death till he comes. But let's go down to verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. There's many things here, but let me just uh, go back here, especially verse 28. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You know, growing up, and in my early years of ministry, I used to teach this wrong. Because I understood it wrong. Anytime we had convenience, whether it be distributed to me or I was the one distributed to others, I would always examine myself to see if uh, there'd be any sin. It was a time to clean the slate and see what's wrong and do inventory. And I used to do that. I used to teach that. I used to endorse that. And then I realized it was totally wrong. One, it's out of context. Two, it's, uh, uh, it's not even biblical even in the Old Testament. How many of you know the Old Testament gives testimony to the righteousness we're supposed to be experiencing now? It's not even Old Testament correct. Nowhere in the Old Testament were they ever to examine the man on the land. If we can examine man instead of the lamb, then we are in a sense saying we don't need lamb. We don't need Jesus. Because if you can examine yourself to become righteous, then you don't need Jesus. That's what you're saying. That's wrong. Two, the second thing I have a problem with, we are just doing this whole exercise in remembrance of Him. And in remembrance of that He took our sin, He took our shame, He took it, He buried He crucified it, He buried it, and He rose again for our justification, our righteousness, we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. If we're doing this whole exercise and remembers of what he did, proclaiming his death till he comes, then why in our examination after
after we do that, after we examine and remember him, after we do that, we now examine ourselves and we still see sin. Something is wrong. If, if in remembrance of him, his death, the blood of his covenant didn't take care of it, then my examination is not going to do it. At the same point in time, if I'm remembering him, and in, in subsequent to that, I'm examining ourselves, in my examination, I should see nothing but Jesus Christ. Because I'm beholding his glory in the mirror. I put off the old man and the spirit of my mind, I put on the new man who's created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. I am not discerning myself. I am discerning the Lord's body. Am I making sense? Because any other way to examine myself is unworthy. If I'm not going to examine myself and forego and forget anything Jesus accomplished for me, then I am guilty of the body and the blood left because I am not focused on what Jesus did. I'm focused on what I've done. That's antichrist. That's against. The word antichristo means against or instead of Christ. I don't examine myself instead of Christ. I'm examining myself in remembrance of him. And I, there is no spot in you, my beloved. It says in the Psalm of Psalms, chapter 4, verse 7, of Psalm of Solomon. We should be examining ourselves as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Am I making sense? But then he makes this statement. For this reason, many are weak and sick of mind you and many sleep. Many people are sick today. And this is very timely. I didn't plan this with the coronavirus going around. But when we have a wrong examination of ourselves, we will live just like the world. And we will get the results of the world. I'm not here attacking people. I'm here to bring us back to his table of remembrance. David wrote this in Psalm 23, verse 5, that he prepares a table for us in the midst of our enemies. Am I making sense? Pardon here because I'm just trying to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit as we conclude all of this teaching and message. My heart in this whole series, my heart in everything we do as a church is to disciple you as a pastor, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to disciple you so you can be established, not in this church, but in Him. That make sense? I want you to be so established in his righteousness that you, that when things like this come about, the coronavirus and other things, you're so established in him, you won't be moved. But instead of panicking, you will be an asset to minister life and wholeness and healing to those who need it. Not just healing from some virus, but also healing and deliverance from the panic. Am I making sense, church? 
And my heart is that we're establishing this. And we have the right perception of righteousness. And then, and then, and then this conclusive teaching, I entitled this section, Behold, because there's something that you need to, if you're going to be establishing it, there's something that you need to be seeing with the mind, with a steadfastness. You need to keep your focus. You need to keep your mind on Him. You need to keep your focus on putting off the old man and putting on the new man. You need to keep your focus on being compelled by His love that tells you that you know no man that the flesh, but you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You need to be steadfast and beholding Him by knowing that all Scripture is proper for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You need to be so steadfast in, 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 in knowing the elementary, the principal teachings, so that not only you can teach, be taught yourself, but you can teach others also. And we need to be so grounded in this. We need to be so established in who we are in Christ because of what Jesus did. And in, because of what Jesus did, because we are so grounded in our mind, we can examine ourselves in a worthy manner. Giving praise and glory and honor to God for His righteousness. And then in your examination, you find something wrong. It's the same you do. Let's just, be, let's just be honest. Let's say, as you examine yourself, you find something you don't like. Do you know what, you know what the answer is? Come back to this table of remembrance. Come back. Come back and remember and don't leave that table until you get it. Keep feasting. Keep chewing. Pray God that by His Spirit. Because He says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that you are going to be transformed from glory to glory by His Spirit. Let His Spirit reveal it to you. Lord, open my eyes. Open my understanding. Let your heart burn within you as He reveals the Scriptures to you, giving testimony to Jesus. That makes sense. There's times because of something I'm going through, my emotions are not responding very well. And there's times I have to linger longer than others in His presence. Sometimes it takes all day. Sometimes it takes longer now. Sometimes I know I'm not thinking right, I'm not acting right. I just need to come in His presence. I'm focused on the wrong stuff. I'm listening to the wrong voices. Some of them mean well, but they're wrong. They're sincere, but sincerely wrong. There's a lot of sincere people reacting re in panic because of all what's going on in the earth. They're sincere about it, but they're sincerely wrong in their approach. I'm not here to attack anybody. I'm here to bring people the truth. Am I making sense? And uh, I'm basically done. I, I don't have much more to say on this. I mean, I can keep reiterating over and over again. But let me just say this, too. In Hebrews chapter 1, and we talked about this before, God is upholding all things by the power of His Word when He Himself purged our sins. Everything is upheld. Even in this time of this panic, over this virus. God is upholding everything by His power of His Word when He Himself purged our sins. 
if you are not grounded and established on that word of him purging your sins, then you will come unraveled when your buttons are pushed or when when your foundation is challenged, when your securities are challenged. But you know, I've, I've talked, I've heard, we've heard all heard of panic, but I've also talked to a lot of Christians who know the truth. And you know one thing that's very distinct about them than the, uh, the people of the world, even Christian people, some Christian people, is that they're not even moved by all this stuff. That tells me where their rock is. That tells me where their focus is. That tells me where they're beholding. They're actually praying for you. They're actually praying for this. And uh, it's infecting them because the panic is affecting them, not because uh, the virus is affecting them, but the panic is. You know, it's, it's like World War III at that supermarket. <laughs> it's worse than Black Friday. You know, it just it's affecting. Things are being closed down out of just pure panic. And uh, anyway, it's just, uh, but we have Jesus Christ. We have Jesus Christ. We have Jesus Christ. It doesn't affect us because we're still living every night, every day, like we did before. We nothing's changed. Jesus is still on the throne. Yeah, He's still Lord of our lives. Now it's not moved. We're in Goshen, so to speak. We're we're people of God, and we're not moved by these things. We're moved by Jesus Christ because we're established in Him. And the moments when we begin to get unglued, because we got our focus on the wrong word, guys upholding all things by the power of His word, when He Himself purged our sins and sat down at the at His Majesty on high. Does that make you sense? No, we worship you. <clears throat> we magnify you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you're the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by you. Lord, I thank you. And I speak again as I opened up this morning. I speak peace to anyone who's having any type of illness, whether it be the coronavirus or anything else. I speak peace to it. I rebuke this virus in the name of Jesus. I curse it in Jesus' name. I rebuke this fear and panic and its source, and I rebuke it, and I curse the spear, the spirit of fear, in the name of Jesus. I speak life. I speak wholeness. Life is stronger than death. Love is stronger than hate. Peace is stronger than panic. And I speak that. I proclaim that. And I declare our God reigns. And I speak peace in our land. And I speak peace, calm the storm. Calm it now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that we have a rock that is higher than I. We worship you, we magnify you, and we will see victory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great day. See you tonight if you can. Have a great week. Blessings on you. Blessings. God bless America.